Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Welcome to the lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine. And with me today, back from his sold-out world tour, is... <laughs> Happily retired Lieutenant Frank Morelli. Sold-out world tour, I love it. Um, not that anybody out there needs to know or care, but I was on a long weekend with my wife of almost three decades, celebrating our anniversary by hanging from zip line 650 feet over a gorge. Wow. Um, I'm glad she still loves me and the cable wasn't <laughs> accidentally cut, but, uh, yeah, so it, it was a good weekend off. Thank you guys for covering it last week. Not a problem. I'm glad you had fun on that, uh, on your time off. Um, as always, we've got a lot of stories to talk about, so we'll get started. Um, first story, uh, we start in California, where uh, Los, Ca- Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is trying out a new app for uh, traffic stops. Uh, with this uh, new application, uh, drivers are able to initiate a two-way video call with officers uh, when they're pulled over. The idea is to make the whole traffic stop uh, less stressful for the drivers, but also safer for uh, the law enforcement officers um, doing it. Uh, Frank, what if you were um, an officer having to, you know, deal with this app? Uh, how would that be? I'm not sure. I'm a fan. <clears throat> so I get that in the the post-COVID world, there are people out there who don't want face-to-face interactions. Um, You know, there's digital everything and all that. But at the end of the day, when I look at this, you know, and and the video that comes with it, and it's nice that they show it during the day. And, uh, you know, it's a woman holding the phone that's on the traffic stop. And the deputy, if you look at the video, is kind of standing near the left rear quarter panel, left rear tire, talking to this woman they don't need i mean the, the only benefit of the app at that point is they can see each other's face rather than you know her having to try to look around the b pillar at him and and him being able to see in the car i view this potentially and bearing in mind i don't know anything about this app or if there's training that goes with it or anything else i view this as potentially just another distraction that offers a bad doer if you have a driver that's that's a criminal an opportunity to distract the officer while they do something in the side of the car that can increase a threat. I don't, I don't see enough of advantage to this to, to see the need. Yeah. I don't know that. I, obviously I, you're seeing a lot more of these traffic stops that are turning into shootings um, because the, the driver suddenly um, is, is wanted for other things or uh, there are other reasons he doesn't want to be stopped by the, by the police. I don't necessarily know that that alleviates it. The, the app does let the, I mean, the officer has the discretion to say, look, we, you know, I've got to come over and see. And in those cases, it's still going to be a dangerous stop. Um, yeah. It's, uh, I'm curious to to see how it works out because I'm not, yeah, I, I am not seeing a, a lot of benefits, and I, I agree with you that it does turn into another another distraction um, for for drivers. I'm I'm glad. Well, for distraction for the officer, 
I'm mm-hmm. glad um, that we're we're leveraging technology. And and like I said, everything's digital. But at the end of the day, at the when you, when you affect a traffic stop, um, traffic it leads to many other types of arrests, whether it's right. open warrants or it's on view crime. So if I'm the officer and I'm walking up to this car and this person wants to initiate a call, um, number one, the agency better be issuing me the cell phone they want me to do that on because I'm not putting it on my personal phone and I'm not going to have that in my hand. Number two, I still have to get a driver's license or registration, a proof of insurance from this individual. And even if they try to send it all to me through the app, that can be that can be fake. That can be counterfeited. And then number three, if by not walking up to the window, I mean, I don't want to go past the B pillar, officer survival, still officer survival. You make a passenger side approach or whatever. Are there drugs in the passenger compartment? Are there guns mm-hmm. in the passenger compartment? Is there somebody else on the passenger side floor? Is there somebody on the floor in the back seat that's been kidnapped? I mean, there's so many things you lose not walking up to the vehicle. I don't see the benefit to this enough. But I mean, maybe I'm just yeah. not educated. Anyway. No, I, we'll have to see. Um, on to our next story. Uh, we'll go across the country uh, to Virginia where um, multiple law enforcement agencies um, worked to stop a potentially deadly situation. Um, uh, Fairfax and Prince William County uh, police uh, had apprehended a 35-year-old man who um, they had found in a church with a loaded pistol and a knife, and he had made um, disturbing threats online. Um, A later investigation had found what was described as a kill manifesto at his home. Um, what's what's interesting about this case or what's, what's good to see about this case is the cooperation and the fast work um, by three departments. The tip about uh, this individual came to uh, Anna, Anna Arundel County Police who then contacted uh, Fairfax County Police where the uh, suspect lived. Uh, they went to the suspect's home. He was not there. Fairfax County Police immediately called Prince William uh, County Police, contacted them. That's where the church is located. And that is where they found um, the suspect and were able to stop him before um, anything could happen and and before a tragedy could uh, ensue. Um, there's a, a great timeline Um that authorities released on this that really that that breaks down the whole process of this. And um, I think you hear a lot about how um, law enforcement agencies, lack of communication, cooperation. um, But this was a case where everyone was was doing what what they needed to and um, worked together to to stop um, a person from you know, possibly going on a, on a killing spree. You know, a hundred percent hands down, everybody does what they're supposed to do in a timely fashion, right? Nobody's ignoring Mm -hmm. the potential threat. You get a woman who calls Anne Arundel County, Maryland police department about these vague threats, quote unquote, vague threats and other suspicious Instagram posts made by this suspect about a church. Now she's in Anne Arundel County. He's making threats about a, th- a church in Haymarket, Virginia. Beautiful place, by the way, out in the sticks. Um, but they get Anne Arundel contacts Fairfax County because that's where the suspect lives. 
uh, and it, everybody does the follow-up correctly. Now, at the end of the day, if, if this guy actually was planning the shooting and, and a, a manifesto um, with any kind of list of targets or, or names or whatever, this quote-unquote kill manifesto, just for a second, let's consider, they because they say he's caught with a pistol, one spare magazine, and a knife. Now, it, depending on what kind of pistol it is, we're looking at anything from potentially 15 rounds one one mag one spare mag say in a 1911 or 36 rounds if you have any kind of extended uh capacity magazines or even just regular capacity magazines uh in our standard you know 17 round nine millimeter handguns that are out here today potentially their actions save 34 35 36 people from being shot Mm -hmm. kudos all the way around I love the, the the way this played out. And and we go back to, if you see something, say something. You see suspicious posts on social media. Uh, you know, I it'd be interesting to see more information about this. Did the woman actually know anybody at the church? What was this guy's connection with the church? You get two different states, three different counties. This is awesome police work. This is how it's supposed to happen. Now, unfortunately, it won't be counted as an active shooter attack by the FBI because four people didn't get shot. Mm-hmm. So this is a prevented attack and we need to count them better. I'll make that observation. It, you know, it, it's it's cases like this where everything really happened in a peaceful manner that do, doesn't get the, the headlines maybe that it deserves um, because, like I said, nothing happened. Um, but yeah, just the, the speed at which they were able to... Um, locate the individual may you know discern whether or not this was a a viable threat um and then act on that information uh and then followed up with the investigation where clearly um you know with the kill manifesto found they prevented some type of of tragedy from happening and and yeah just great work all around one last observation yeah according to the timeline uh, the suspect's suspicious behavior alerted church security. It's a shame churches have to have security. Yeah, but it's fantastic that they do, and they can they can take this kind of action. Moving on to our next story, and actually, this will be a couple stories familiar to people who've been listening uh, to the lineup. First, we'll start in California, where a California lawnmaker is trying is asking the San Mateo County um, for funding for the Broadmoor Police Department. Um, it's a unique uh, agency. It's the uh, it's California's last single per- single purpose police protection district. Um, it it is uh, Broadmoor uh, I, the district and the the police district in the area is surrounded by a larger city um, in California and it doesn't really it it has residents but it's not necessarily a town and it's sort of an in-between it's the last of this kind and um, it's it it's a a a me I should say big large um, agency um, that uh, needs needs financial money in the 75 years um that it's been around it hasn't asked for any funding from the county the other thing because it's this unique police district it doesn't receive the same type of of tax funds 
um, that uh, a sheriff's department or a police uh, department um, would receive. Um, and so they're trying to, to keep it alive. Uh, the sheriff's office would have to take over if the Broadmoor Police Department um, is dissolved. Uh, that is something apparently the sheriff's department would rather not do because of the geographic area that it would now have to cover. And just like all the other, <clears throat> excuse me, um, agency, law enforcement agencies around the country, you know, they're, they're working um, with, you know, lean staff and already working a, a lot of hours. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, Broadmoor can, can find some funding to be able to stay around. Absolutely. You know, and we've said this before, anytime an agency is dissolved and that, that hopefully that won't happen here, somebody else has to pick up the work. Now, they're in San Mateo County. The sheriff's office has already said they don't they don't want to do the work. They don't want to have to absorb those responsibilities. I'm sure they don't. They're like you said, they're they're probably manpower short as well. What's interesting to me is this is just this uh, Broadmoor is just south of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's an observation made that th there's a crime wave, quote unquote, extending south out of San Francisco. San Francisco, as we know, undermanned, underfunded, not able to keep up. Right. Um Seventy seven hundred fifty thousand dollars is is a chunk of money when you think about it. Uh, I don't know what kind of funding Broadmoor normally has. Uh, the article says they have five full time officers and four volunteer reserve officers. It says the chief works full time but receives yeah. a part timer's pay. So I would think for seven hundred fifty grand, you could run a five man agency. Uh, without an issue yet on the, the uh, added cost for volunteer reserve officers. I mean, you still have liability insurance and uniform costs and vehicles and all that stuff. But I, I'd like to know just how much money they have devoted to this uh, five full-time officer agency and, and that they're running so bad, they need another 750 grand, presumably in it for an annual budget. Um, I, I think that the, the Broadmoor whatever the ruling council is there, the people that they answer to, I think they have some answering to do for how they're managing their money. Um, cause, cause it seems to me, there's gotta be some really poor management going on. Uh, it says here that, uh, the, the Broadmoor police department area, uh, you know, they serve a population of about 7,200 people. So theoretically they should have seven full time or full timers on that agency, uh, that ratio of one to a thousand. Um, We'll have to see. We'll have to keep an eye on it, see how it plays out. And uh, talking about how uh, uh, a municipality uh, manages its funding um, leads us into a related story uh, out of Alabama, where um, the police chief, uh, uh, Powell police chief, um, three officers and actually a town council member all quit um, because of. Uh, what the chief had described is issues when it came to funding the department um, and hours worked by uh, the officers. Uh, in particular, um, one detail that the chief had released pa uh, after his resignation on a social media post was he was upset that the department was passed over 
for its request for new equipment so that the town could build a new town hall. And this was with money that um, was uh, given to the town part of uh, COVID uh, relief and was supposed to be earmarked for first responders. Um, again, we've seen this, we've seen this uh, tune played before, just different verse here. This is uh, in Powell, Alabama. Um, it, it, I did, it wasn't, there weren't uh, details about uh, why the council member felt the need uh, to uh, quit as well, if it was just uh, in solidarity or, or what, but um you know that that says a lot uh if you have that many people um resigning uh for really just uh what they believe in well and don't let's not forget the councilman as well that that's a that's a statement yeah. when a councilman's resigning as well um, a couple of observations here says the town's a thousand people they've got four officers that that's a heck of a ratio i'm not saying have fewer i mean you as far as i'm concerned you never have too many cops i think it's a great thing but um, having a police chief and, and an assistant police chief and then two officers, that this is a, a command-heavy agency that's probably larger than they need to try to fund. Now, that said, uh, if that's what the a town is committed to and that's what they've been working with, um, to turn around and take COVID relief money earmarked for first responders and, and to deny the agency, what they need in, in equipment so that you can build a new town hall. To me, that's just misuse of the funding. I and mean, that they, I, I would think that there ought to be some malfeasance investigations going on or something. And, and let's remember this too, just because all these people resigned today doesn't mean that the, the town council can't be changed in an election and all these people brought back or emergency mm -hmm. actions taken and all these people brought back or the count, city council goes, Hey, you know what? You're right. We shouldn't do this. We're going to change these plans. Um, Let's get everybody back in here and working and and then things get better. But to, this is the kind of little it's almost it's sad. As bad as politics is on a big scale, sometimes on a little scale, they're even worse. And to see a, a small town like this, a thousand people and they can't even treat their police department right because they're, they're trying to build a new town hall. It may be absolutely necessary, but um, I, I think they're going to pay a price for not having a police department. Yeah. And um I mean, you bring up the fact about the council members being elected, you know, I don't know what the election cycle is um, in Alabama, but, you know, potentially some of these council members could be up for reelection, if not in November, maybe in the spring. Um, so, yeah, maybe, you know, this uh, at least gets it on the radar for residents and uh, they can they can vote how they they feel. Exactly. Um Moving on to next story, um, back to California, where the mother of a slain Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputy um, gave an interview, which she uh, heavily criticized um, the district attorney for not pursuing the death penalty um, in the murder of her son. Um, she had said, uh, let me find the quote here. Um, the George uh, Gasson, and I, I apologize if I'm uh, mispronouncing, he's the district attorney. He is an opponent of the death penalty. Um, he felt that, uh, you know, if he thought uh, the death penalty was going to be uh, work as a deterrent, he would have no reservations um, 
about pursuing it, but uh, he doesn't believe that's the case. Um, the mother of the uh, deputy and the sheriff's deputy who was killed, um, Ryan, and again, I hope I'm pronouncing this properly, Klinkenbrumer, um, he was actually ambushed in his patrol car um, sitting uh, in front of the station at a stoplight when uh, the suspect, Kevin Salazar, came up uh, beside him in another car and shot him and killed him. Um, now, Salazar has uh, pleaded a dual plea of not guilty and not guilty um, because of uh, due to insanity. Um, the mother of Ryan Klinkenbrumer, however, uh, in response to the DA not pursuing the death penalty, um, had said, how dare you on national TV tell me you're not seeking the death penalty because it won't bring my son back. Uh, my son's not coming back, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do your job. Um, go, yeah, go ahead, Frank. So um, fair warning to anybody listening. I'm, I'm not going to be politically correct about this, and I'm not going to mince words about this. I'm not the guy who believes that every police officer's killer should automatically re receive the death, pen death penalty. That said, I believe that every victim of a murder's killer, I mean, if, if you have somebody out there who's convicted of murder, I think they should get the death penalty. I think it's an insult to this woman. Uh, you know, her son gets slain in the line of duty. It's an ambush. This, this is just pure hateful. I don't like this guy. Bang. I'm going to kill him. And then I'm going to plead not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity. And then you've got what I assume to be, uh, and I could be wrong, a, a kind of progressive uh, district attorney. He says he's an opponent of the death penalty. Um, so he's not going to seek it. So if the law allows it, but he chooses not to because he has a personal challenge with the death penalty, on the one hand, I applaud his courage of his convictions. On the other hand, I think you ought to do your job. I think it's an insult, Joe. If if I get killed in the line of duty and the state's attorney, district attorney, tells my now surviving widow, we're not going to pursue the death penalty. We're going to put him in jail for the rest of his life. Part of her tax money is going to be supporting my killer's health care, food bill, clothing, and housing while I'm while he's in prison. Okay. That's an insult. If, if if you don't want to put this woman's son's murderer in an electric chair or expose him to lethal injection or hang him from the nearest tree, because ropes were usable and I'm good with that. Um, I think it's an insult to her. She's part of her tax money is going to have to keep her son's killers alive and healthy in prison. That is the ultimate insult to me. This guy ought to be he, the, the district attorney ought to be seeking the death penalty, provided the law permits it. He, he ought to be he ought to be pursuing maximum penalty under the law, no matter no matter what his personal outlook is. The biggest thing that stuck out for me and that um, I just didn't I thought was it just should not have happened is apparently um, the family found out about this at the press conference um, announcing it. And I, I you know what? That is something I feel, especially um, the the family of the of a, of a law enforcement officer should have been they should have been talked to ahead of time. I, I think that should have been, you know, should be for all the victims, you know, 
um, but that's lying crimes politics. like that. That's, yeah. that's how they made sure that the family couldn't prepare a statement about it. Right. You just blindside them with it. And that's slimy politics. And that's that's where it just, you know, what? Uh, yeah, confront, you know, discuss it before and and deal with that that way. I just to be uh, to be surprised during the press conference about this, that that just it, it adds just more hurt um, for the, this family uh, that they, they don't need. Exactly. Uh, next story going to uh, Pennsylvania. Um, where, uh, again, talking about a quick, uh, quick reaction by a um, Latrobe uh, police officer who stopped a runaway food truck at a uh, festival um, that not only was barreling through the festival, but also was dragging um, a, a individual underneath it. Uh, he was able to jump onto the moving truck um, and stop it so that uh, medics were able to get to uh, the person who had been um, caught uh, somehow, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, in the wheels of it and um, was being pulled uh, by this uh, out of control food truck um i i i again i uh, in these sort of you know after event uh, interviews with the officers um i i like you know just the responses a lot of times this was from um officer zachary lucan who said um the only thing i saw was somebody needs to stop that truck and i'm somebody um and you know he, he did it and you know kudos to him so think about the risk this officer took, and exactly, kudos to Officer Lucan. Um, you've got a moving vehicle with a door open that you have to run to catch up to, jump in, get a hold of the steering, and your foot on the brake, right? Um, I, I did this when I was in the academy a long time ago. One of my stop-and-approach instructors ran a scenario like this. Uh, he played the part of an elderly driver who, you, know, you stop him on a traffic stop, and he opens his door and he leaves the vehicle and drive and gets out. Well, and then he stumbles and he falls. Well, am I going to deal with him or am I going to stop that car? Um, you know, and it's not as easy as you think. Chasing a car, <clears throat> getting in, and this is a truck. And find out it's dragging somebody on the front. Um, absolutely. Uh, a lot of anxiety for this officer. A lot of unknowns. I like his focus. Got to stop the truck. Don't know. I mean, it hit one tent and was running you know, going towards another one so many things that could have distracted him and he kept his focus got the truck stopped and then he had to catch his breath and deal with everything else but you, you don't know how many lives that this man saved we yeah. no way of knowing how many lives that this officer saved so uh, i'm glad to see it worked out the right way yeah and he and i believe he didn't even know that the there was a person being being dragged you know his focus Not was until again, he got it stopped yeah. yeah and then you know quick boom Switch. All right. Got to, you know, what can I do to, to help to help this guy? Um, yeah. Uh, and again, not the type of things that you might expect, but um, to have to deal with as a police officer. But uh, again, you know, able to use the training they have and, and, and improvise. Um, Most great important job. thing this officer said, quote, and it, it's quote in the article. In this profession, unfortunately, we don't get a whole lot of time to think about things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That quote is what everyone needs to remember when they think a police officer did something wrong. 
because they didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it. Anyway. And last thing, too, I did like that uh, apparently there was um, a a person who was um, in the driver's seat uh, when the vehicle lost control and he jumped on and apparently said, I very politely said, look out. (laughs) And I just jumped in there. I mean, you know, to to also have the wherewithal to to have good manners while you're doing this, I, I think, you know, speaks well of him. Um, next uh next story uh this was a story i really liked it's out of syracuse um where uh the chief of police there was discussing um a standoff that he helped and um where a man was holding two girls and a pregnant pregnant woman hostage in an apartment um he is not a negotiator um but the uh the hostage taker had asked for the chief because he had known him um, in the nineties. They he had arrested him uh, back then and he trusted him um, because the chief wasn't a negotiator. Uh, they decided to just do a, um, a prepared video that they sent to him. But um, what I, I like about this story is it shows um, Chief Joseph uh, Cecile, who um, the work that he, from the start of his career that he must have been doing um, to establish that trust, to um, be known, to have a reputation and a good reputation uh, within his community over a span of decades. Uh, that says a, a lot um, and it shows um kind of what that what that looks like uh, when when people talk about community policing about building trust here was a a man who was again holding two women or two people and and a pregnant woman hostage and yet he still felt like okay you know what this guy is is going to treat me fairly um i i just stuff like this i i really like to see and i i you know i i think um it's something people um should hear more about too well and they it happens in my experience a ton and people don't hear about it Mm -hmm. now even if you just look at at the the headline for this piece joe the new york chief uh quote unquote always treat people with dignity um you know it's easy to go out and do the job as a police officer and shut off your emotions, shut off your compassion, uh, you know, be what we call coldly professional. Um, you know, and you arrest somebody and they say, Hey, you know, I got, I got a kid at home. I got dogs at home. I got this, I got whatever. And your attitude can very easily be, that's not my problem. You, you shouldn't commit it to crime. You know, like you're in handcuffs, you're going to jail. So what, um, the, the reason that this, this, uh, person, the, the, the suspect trusted Henderson was apparently because years before Henderson had, uh, Cecile had arrested him, excuse me. Um, Henderson was a suspect. Cecile arrested him. Um, He says he told the negotiators that the chief and other officers took good care of his dogs when Henderson had been arrested before. Uh, The the chief told him where his dogs would be taken and who would take care of them while he was away. It shows compassion. It shows a little bit of a human touch you know it shows more than just coldly professional and it goes a long way turn toward earning respect 
if you have criminals, they know they're criminals. They know you're the police. They know your job is to arrest them. But if you do it without anger, you do it without insult, you do it without demeaning or degrading them. And it's very tempting to do. It's mm-hmm. very easy to look down on that person that you're handcuffing. Uh, but if you do it, and it, honestly, that, that golden rule applies, right? Doing to others. Yep. If you do it with some measure of respect and professional courtesy, people remember that and it has an impact and it builds a level of trust that empowers you down the road. And you never know when that's going to come back. We're talking about something from the 90s, over 20 years ago. Yeah. What that chief did came back to help in this particular day. And, so and I don't think you can beat that. Yeah. And it, again, potentially saved lives um, and doing something that uh, I don't think you would, uh, you know, you wouldn't expect officers to do for um, non-offenders. You know, uh, I think that it really was going um, the extra mile um, for, for, you know, helping, helping out dogs that you, you don't think it's gonna, it's gonna really pay off, but um you know, those actions do have ripple effects. And even if it, it is decades later, uh, uh, above and beyond certainly applies to this chief. Let's, let's shut down on this. Yep. one. Jeff. This is a really good humanitarian feel good piece. And, and, you know, it, it's great that it makes the news. It's a shame. We don't see every one that happens like this in the country because there've got to be thousands of these every day and people just don't see them. People aren't made aware of them. You know, and, as you say that, as we sign off here, yeah, kudos to the to those um, officers, deputies, and law enforcement agents who who do that. Who um, you know remember the idea of of helping the community, um, and you really see in cases like this, you can kind of see really probably why these uh, officers got involved in law enforcement. It, it, it is the, the helping part of it, of, of trying to be of service and, and make a difference. You can definitely tell the ones that do it because they care and the ones that do it purely for the paycheck. Well, again, uh, that's all for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Um, hope you're back next week and uh, stay safe and take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.